the craziest designers are the ones that actually uh, find the craziest engineers to actually build their crazy ideas. So it's, it's, it's really part of the job. And uh, if you're able to do that right and you convince people to build uh, your crazy design, uh, you're even better than some others. Welcome to Deep Dives. My name is Rid, and this is where we go deep with the best designers so that you can learn from their journey and apply it to your own career. For the last few years, Linear has pretty much set the bar for what high quality design looks like and inspired many of the trends that we see today. Now this episode is an all access pass to design at Linear because we get to talk to the founding designer, Adrian Griveau. He shares all about the design process at Linear, how they collaborate with engineers, what they look for in new candidates, and a lot more. But first, I wanted to go all the way back to the beginning so that we could learn how he first landed the role. So I'm, I'm originally from France, uh, from Paris. Uh, I was working there for a startup studio called eFounder at the times. Uh, they, they create a lot of like SaaS companies. One of them is Medifont, that is the most known, like I mean, in the US. Um, and that's where I kind of started to discover like productivity tools uh, as a designer, uh, SaaS software. And then I had the opportunity to move to the US uh, to work for Microsoft uh, because one of the French company uh, called Sunrise at the time got acquired and uh, they kind of proposed me to, uh, to work with them. So we built Outlook Mobile for some years uh, there. So it was very like, large company, uh, Microsoft big in SaaS, uh, was a big time for them also because they were like canceling the Windows phone. And uh, so the challenge was like, okay, how Microsoft looks like uh, in iOS or Android where well, not their platform and how you kind of create the language for them there. So that was basically my role there for like sometimes. Um, and we were working a lot on GitHub uh internally even for design um that was because the company was remote and we were also like sharing all the knowledge and i really liked this this process at the time because when i joined i already had like the historical things on like what's going on like what the decision that were take at the time and how people think about features and stuff so i got really in love with GitHub, but also as a designer i had a lot of functionalities that i didn't like they were mostly for engineers so uh, with some friends, we built a Mac app uh, called Gitscop. And so I really started to get very interested into like productivity, like product management uh, issues ticketing at the time uh, and trying to get the best from the GitHub API, but also on top of that, having a nice, nice Mac app experience that would be mostly useful for PM or like designer where you just want to discuss things, but you don't really need to have like all the, the developers uh, tools inside. Um, and then I worked on that on the side for a long time, uh, moved back to Europe, uh, moved to Portugal, actually, uh, where I like, was, was mostly freelancing, working for some startups, very early stage, which was good because I was missing this kind of uh, mindset of work, which is early stage company, uh, being at Microsoft for some times, it was like very refreshing for me. And yeah, and then Kerry, uh, CEO of uh, Linear, which is also a designer, uh, has need to be mentioned. Uh, that's uh, that's very going to be very important, I think, for the rest of the conversation. Also, uh, the interaction we had together uh, when we start to build Linear, they reached to me, and I think what we did at the time uh, kind of inspired them a bit to create Linear. I'm not sure like what would be the real story there, but it's mostly about. They knew us. I think we kind of also set the tone of some ideas that they liked, and um, and 
we had a lot big discussion together about like okay what what they were building i knew also what were the problems in this space uh how do you compete with bigger tools when you are a small company uh it's a big challenging so it's not just only about the product but it's also about the strategy how you're going to distribute an app like that how do you going to make people change their workflow for companies this is a big major uh, pick to choose a tool like that because all their like informations and uh, the way they're going to build the product is going to be based around the tools. So you really have to be convincing well about what you do. Um, and I was I got very seduced by their strategy, the way they were thinking about the company, the future of it, the approach they took. So we started to work together. Like so, I joined the company more than three years ago now. They already had a like a small product uh, that was working, like was doing the basic, like very classic issues. The, the design uh, basis was there. Um, maybe we can talk about that later on, but yeah, it, it was, um, I, I really like the, the, the direction. And so basically the way we operate is that we have a team in Europe and we have a team uh, in the base, US base. So my goal was, uh, and my role was also to like mostly take care of the design part uh, for the Europe team. And this started, uh, for sure, Carrie's CEO also. So as a designer, he has less and less time. Um, and the strategy with Linar is always to grow with our customers. So we started like being used by teams of like five, six people. Uh, our team was pretty small too at the time. We were about like five, six people too. And uh, as company grow, you want to make sure you have the right set of features and functionalities inside the tools so they can uh, actually still use the product. So like since the start also, we really, really take care of like customer's feedback. It was, it's deeply implemented in the way we work. Uh, we try to be always on top of like, what are the new people joining? What do they like? What don't they do like? So we try to always react pretty quick when we see that there is an issue or like when people like something, we double down on that too. Um, and it's been the strategy so far. And uh, so we grow with some of our customers, um, then realize what were the new challenges for bigger companies that now are bigger than us like we are about like 50 people uh, at the moment but um, like we have people that are thousands of employees using linear and so you have always new challenges and the idea was like always to see like what do they need uh, and how we can make them work better to build better product um, so that that was technically the strategy that i really liked and when i joined the company uh, i think it was very smart from them to to set this direction, which kind of help you in terms of the product side to don't overthink when you build and be like, okay, if those people need this, that means that maybe other people will need this. Um, so yeah, that's basically one of the reasons why I'm there now. Uh, and uh, it's been a big, nice, very nice journey. And I'm, I'm very excited uh, building this product every day. You mentioned this relationship with early customers and also just to, again, highlight the fact that like, you were a founder of company called Get Scout. So you were deeply embedded into this space. I'd like to kind of get a little bit more of a lens and how you were knowing what to build in those first three, six ish months, because as a founding designer myself, when I kind of look back at my own experience in those early days, yeah, we were talking to customers when it made sense, but a lot of times it felt like we were just heads down building what we kind of knew and felt confident was table stakes for the product. And so maybe you could talk about what those early user conversations were in the early days and maybe even how Linear's approach to user research has evolved over the time that you've been there. I think there is 
one big change that we bring on the table regarding SaaS product um, is the fact that we had this linear method. That's something we still show on the website, which is what do we think you should do when you build a product? And we really think that the product is not there to match your workflow, but actually also to give you a new way, a new workflow on how you build things. And uh, most people in tech companies, which are our customers most of the time, uh, they like to build things, they like their coders, their designers. And so the process part uh, for them is something that is kind of blurry sometimes, or also like very organized in different way. But when you are excited to build, you don't want, want to think too much about your process. You actually want to just do things and make sure you communicate well with your team and that things get done and that you're making progress. And the, so one of the approach of Linearize was also to kind of restrain you to a certain set of features. Like there was not that much customization in the tool. Like you really have to basically follow the way we think you should do things. Um, so the, the designs and the product challenge were always the balance between what do people want, but what are we going to deliver? And I think this has been very different. So when we take customer feedback, we don't, we want to hear people problems, like uh, people problems are very different. Uh, we have very different kind of team that operate with us. Uh, they all have different products, different markets, but in the end they have common problems, but they don't express those problems the same way. So the thing is also to always balance between what people are saying, what are they struggling on and how do you deliver? Like, uh, so some people come out sometimes with some solutions for us. Oh, you should do like this button should do that and stuff like that. So you need to hear those. Sometimes they have good ideas, like it, it's never bad. Uh, but most of the time you also have to understand the common pattern of those problems and realize that the solution could be somewhere else. And sometimes also the solution can be way simpler than what people are expecting you to do. And by the fact that we have this same setup for every user, they have issues, they have a status, they have a label, like everybody is using the same set of features. We are also able to use this data, provide you this data in a different way than actually the problem you think was a feature, it's actually just displaying it differently for you. Um, so that's, that's a lot of discussion for sure internally, a lot of testing. Um, and uh, it's, uh, it's very hard to to explain, okay, why we designed this this way. It's mostly like discussion appearing internally. Uh, and also I feel like everybody in the team is very product oriented, even the engineers, even the people at the support. So everybody's putting his head down on like trying to make the product as much as possible the best. Uh, but uh, yeah. I don't know if I answer right your question there, but. No, it's great. That's great. One of my favorite parts of being a designer is like that early stage where you're establishing a lot of the strategy, you're creating a lot of things from scratch, you're making these new Figma files everywhere. Can you drill into that first month or two? What were some of the original things that you were doing <laughs> as the new founding designer? Yeah, for sure. I think um, the, the few months was actually to get along with Carrie and understand like what was his original thought on Linear. Um, I think one of the, the change we would like to operate, uh, in the SaaS world, it was at the time, a lot of people were using those cartoon characters all around the place. Uh, it was very colorful and we always had this feeling that actually SaaS product and tooling like professional product want to look more, a bit more professional maybe. And, uh, for sure, like it was a big, uh, visual differentiator, like from our competitor. Uh, so I think that was also the strategy to go there, but also us, we were kind of tired of like this 
very colorful interface that actually most of the time sometimes adds some noise on top of like people just want to operate something quick. Um, so the, the, the very first days and months was like also getting what Carrie has done with the basis, the direction of the design, but how we will adapt it and make this brand evolve or this UI evolve with all the new features we wanted to have. Like at the time we didn't have planning features, didn't have like most of the things we have now, like the product was very small. So um, I think the early on was we discussing how we can take these days things that he had created uh, that he has fought with the team and how we're going to make that grow and make that work for like even larger audience. Um, and I think that's uh, a discussion that is still happening now is like, uh, if you look the brand back in the day until now, there were still these common things, but we also bring a lot of new stuff to this brand, a lot of new narrative, a lot of new visual. So the discussion is way all the time about like, okay, is it still linear? But it has to change also because people want to have new things. So it's 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 been a lot of like getting along together, getting getting the trust because also working uh, as two designers on a very early on product is also about like the trust. And uh, I think my part of it was really like showing him that I, I will believe in the direction of it and showing him that I was able to actually translate that better or make it evolve. Uh, so we can have uh, we can have a, a very good um, relationship. We were only two designers for almost a year. Then after we had Edgar join us, uh, he's from Argentina on the US side, um, working mostly now on the website and also still doing some product. Now we have more designers coming up to dinner uh, this year. But uh, so we were only two designers for almost a year, which was um, a, a very exciting time to actually build, collaborate a lot together every day on like how we can make that better, having early discussions about like how now will be looking in one year, two years, three years. So that, that was, yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned this incumbent visual language with all of the cartoons. And it's almost easy to forget about that because now I feel like so much of SaaS is trying to go the professional route because of the success that you all have had. And I'm kind of curious, when you first inherited the designs that Carrie had been working on, what were some of the ways that that professional motif translated into the actual product UI and UX? And how has that evolved over the course of you being there? One of the first statements was that we want to make sure that uh, engineers love to use us. Like one of the biggest um, features in Linear is that engineers and team, they love to use Linear. They, their managers see that people are putting more tickets out because they are excited of the shortcuts of like all the the tooling that we create really integrate with the way they work every day. And one of the first thing we also discover is that if you are looking uh, as a code uh, engineer uh, interface, it's most of the time mostly text. Uh, they are mostly all the time in dark mode. They are most of the time um, very being very efficient about their tools. And, um, we wanted to match, uh, this inside linear and make sure like when you are an engineer and you start using us, you're not coming to a new space, a new world, uh, where you don't understand how things work, where like you don't get your common key or common menu very easily, where you don't get your shortcut. So we always try to make sure engineers love to use us because, uh, that's our core base and that's the biggest advocate on the market for us. So that's, I think that's where it really gets started. And, and then when you realize that, you realize that a lot of tools actually kind of forget that. And that I think there is a very big market uh, for engineering SaaS product. They are the one 
basically running companies in the end in the back. And if those guys don't like to use you, they will not use you. And I think that this, we kind of also at the time, and I think even the linear founders are like the, the, the image of that. They are mostly people coming from the product world as a designer and engineer. They are not like business school guys at the start. And I think they, we have, we are living now this switch of like mostly product people building companies, product people having a bigger voice also in those companies. And those people, they want to use tools that are better designed, that are better thought, like that match the biggest tools they use every day. So I think that was basically a strategy on that. Um, I think I, I was already working a lot of with like engineering tools and uh, I really love that. I really like productivity tools in general. And I think that if I don't find myself efficient in a tool I use uh, by the fact that uh, it feels slow in the interaction, it's loading, it's taking some time to load and then it's trying to put in too much things that I don't need. Uh, I don't like the tools and I would always switch. So my feeling was always like, if I open linear, am I happy to use the tool? Like, do that feel like it's fast enough? I think if people start to forget that they are using you because you are efficient enough and they spend, le they spend less time in your tools, or they are like happy to come here to actually notify something, create a new issue and then leave and come back to work, that's why you win. And more more time people spend in your tool, uh, if they think it's slow, when they realize that they don't have to use it, they are very happy to leave you and forget about you. So, <laughs> I don't actually have that much of a background designing tools. And so something that I was so curious to ask you about in this conversation was what it was kind of like designing for people who kind of live in your tool to an extent and are really power users. Because when I first downloaded Linear and started using it at Maven, Immediately, the thing you notice is that it's designed to kind of be a mouseless experience. You can accomplish essentially everything with keyboard shortcuts. And I've always kind of wondered, what is it like for the designer to create a product where keyboard shortcuts are a first-class citizen? And how does that impact your process? We have to think that also there are a lot of people using Linear without using the shortcut. Uh, I think majority of people, more they use the tools more they will use shortcuts because also a lot of tools out there don't provide you shortcut by default. Some people, they kind of discover the shortcut later on. So I always design any feature that you can, should be able to do it only with using your mouse anyway. And I think the, the shortcut part actually is a new layer I had on top of it and, um, to make sure like it can go faster. Um, and also I'm lucky to enough to work with a lot of engineers that love shortcuts. So we uh, always have crazy discussion on Slack of like, which letter should we pick for that and that. And so like, most of the time, this is like the cherry on the cake that we had on top. Like, okay, how now we design something that everybody can use with a mouse, but how we can make it even faster with shortcut. So that's, that will be mostly the, the process around it. But also our goal is to make sure that we have people that are not engineers that want to use linear. Like uh, this is uh, basically for us, like uh, now that we have bigger companies, you don't only have engineers in linear. So we want to make sure that also they're able to use the product, but we always try to advocate to them that, hey, look, you can also use shortcut and you will even like it more. So that's, that's, that the balance has to be there all the time, but we make sure that it's, and yeah, for sure. If you only think with shortcut, it's very easy to design something uh, because you don't need to create a lot of interfaces for click. 
but we still design things for, for mouse only. So it's always in my head, that's the way I do it always after, but not at the first place. Okay. That's good to know. Cause I was kind of wondering that, like, do you have this map of all the shortcuts that you have to keep track of and where, like, is it something that is kind of slapped on before shipping or is it kind of earlier in the process? Uh, because it is, I, I get the idea that like you learn it over time. Like I, I remember even multiple times in the Maven Slack where someone would be like, wow, did you know that you can use this shortcut to accomplish X? And then everyone would be like, oh my gosh, like I'm going to start using that. And so we've, like, we've kind of matured in our own usage of the tool over time as well. I mean, my role also as a non-engineer is to kind of remind them, so although that we don't have only shortcut people using the product, and I think I, I kind of force myself to don't use them too much sometimes to make sure I don't forget that you also have to click on some button to access some things in the app. Um, but it's part of the process when we ship a new functionality or when we improve something to actually make sure that they are shortcut accessible um, all the time. So that's something that is naturally part of the, the linear process on when we ship stuff. And also sometimes we only have discussions also about how we can improve the shortcut system. That's one of the issues I think that is the biggest with shortcut is that when you define a letter to do one action, if you some, at some point you realize that this letter has been used already and you want to change it, it's very hard. So you really have to um, create a sort of philosophy behind a structure, like many tools are doing different shortcuts for doing sometimes stuff that are very similar. So which one do you like the most? Which one do you prefer? So there is not like a standard way of setting shortcuts for a tool. And I think if you try to copy too much a tool that already exists, you will end up in a nightmare because your tools are, is going to be different at some point and the, the, the shortcut logic for those tools is gonna, not going to adapt to yours. So you have to create your own philosophy on shortcuts. That's a big challenge and a big discussion we have all the time, but uh, it's it's uh, something that you have to involve people and discussions about like, okay, is common triggering this or not? And sometimes we change, it's, it's happening that we change shortcuts, it's very rare. Um, and also you have to think that you always have different context. Like maybe if you're opening a new part of the product, we have some software that only adapts for this part of the product, but then if you're out there, so you have to make sure all the time that what are the possibilities that I can use this shortcut, but will it trigger something that already is appearing on the screen? So that's that's always a big step we have to check. But uh, so far, so good. We've been able to, to provide the best experience I think we can. You recently posted something saying that design systems are the enemy of innovation. Can you explain that a little bit? Me and Carrie come from, he was lead designer at Airbnb uh, when I worked at Microsoft also, like design system was a big part of like the way we worked. Um, and he was one of the very first people that introduced me to the concept. Like I remember yeah. reading his visual language posts, however many years ago that was, and he shaped a lot of my initial thinking, which is why I found your statement so interesting. But to be fairly transparent with us, with you and, uh, we don't have a big design system inside linear. Um, the, one of the reason we don't have it is because we still think that the tools will evolve. Uh, and as, as we are only two designers or like three designers for a very long time, we didn't have time to build anything like this. And, uh, we are always aware that we might make bigger change in the UI and in navigation over time. So uh, spending the time to build a system that in the end we might break in one or two days or two months is not worth it for us. And 
I think there are different stages of a company. Uh, we are scaling up in terms of design. So now we feel more and more the need to maybe having a proper design system. And I think it makes sense for the stage we are entering now. But I think when you are very early on on your product, spending the time um, designing systems, uh, it's to me the time that you don't spend improving your product. So it's uh, the, the philosophy behind there was that if you are alone or if you are one or two designer working on a product, the, all the time you will spend designing the design system is the time that we are not building new things or improving the thing you already have. And once you reach the stage where you can maybe have some time fo somebody full-time in your team doing that, then you have product designer just doing product things. I think that shift makes sense maybe. But I feel like, and I see that with younger designers I talk to, they are very excited about showing me their file with all their components in there. But when I look at the product, I'm like, yeah, it's very different from what you're showing me now. And I think it's very hard if you are alone to maintain a proper design system that looks like the prod. Like most of the time, if I do small improvement, I will just take a screenshot of the app and just design on top of it because in the end, what is the user looking at? Like, okay, maybe your file looks fancy and super nice, but if in production you don't have the same thing, uh, that there is a problem for me. Like everything that's happening behind the scenes is nice. I'm very excited to see that happening. And I think we have better tools to do that. So for sure it's cool. But in the end, people that are looking at your product every day. What do they see? And I think that should be even, even more if you are early stage, really your focus on like, what is the user experiencing every day and how you design on top of that. Also with real data, um, linear is a tool with a lot of text, a lot of data. So sometimes it's, will take you forever to actually recreate a string that, a screen, sorry, that already exists in the app because you will have to create 1000 issue with a lot of project, a lot of labels. So, yeah, you can just also grab a screenshot and edit it quickly and like realize, okay, is this going to work or not? So I think for us, it's been very hard uh, to create a proper design system that would scale quickly uh, and that could have scaled the, the fastest way for us to build. Um, and yeah, we didn't have the resources and actually we didn't feel the need to do it. So my, my feeling about that is really that it's not that you shouldn't do system. We have some basic font size colors in Figma, like the, the, the very raw basic of what you do every day exists because it makes us faster when we design. But if at some point you realize that your design system is just detaching components and then makes you actually slower than while you had an ID, the ID for me to the Figma file and to the design file is that, oh, you have a quick idea in your head. How fast can you make that? existing to an image that you can share with the rest of the team and communicate your ideas instead of like how much time I will spend cleaning my files all the time. I, I sometimes feel very worried when I interview designer and we talk about the, the clean file they create and uh, all the, like showing them all their buttons in the screen. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's, that's cool. Like you spend a lot of time on them, but can you demo something that is actually in production? Like, can you show me something that you actually build and people love? And that's, that's, that, I think that was an advice for young designers, build good stuff, uh, show stuff that are live to people, uh, that will be, that's, that's where your job is the most important now, like the design, like system and stuff is cool, but uh, do you really do design just to create design system? That's the, <laughs> actually, that's not my perspective on things. <laughs> it's, it's a good thing to bring up. I mean. We've interviewed so many people at a similar stage in the company. You know, we started like six months after 
linear and people would get into their portfolio presentations and just share this giant system file and, and look at all of my buttons. And, and actually it was, you kind of were digging yourself a hole a little bit that you would have to somehow sell yourself out of because it just doesn't really map that well to an early stage company a lot of the times. And I love your comment about taking a screenshot of the app and designing something on top of it that stretches me, but actually it makes a lot of sense because so often what happens when you're just heads down shipping in the early days is maybe you build 85 or 90% of what is in your Figma file and things get declared. Okay. Well, that's like a fast follow. We'll get there. Let's talk to, let's get some feedback first. And then like, how often do you actually go back and you run that playbook 10 times. And all of a sudden there are discrepancies between what is in Figma and what is in production code. And sometimes it actually takes more time. Like I can think of specific pieces of UI in my head where I actually had no representation of what was in production in Figma because we just kind of shipped something and yeah. we never really justified going back to it. And it didn't even make sense for me to iterate within the context of my Figma layout because it, that didn't even exist in the real world. The, the source of truth is what is in pod facing your user every day. Like to me, that's, and I know I was pretty hardcore also in the past when I was like applying to new company, but I was only sharing live product with them. And like in, when I worked on something that kind of changed and disappeared, I was not showing it in my folio anymore. And I was just saying, okay, I worked on that back in the day. I have some screenshots now to share, but. I always make sure I always had something that was actually live because also the role of the designer is also to talk with the engineer, make sure like the design is well implemented, discuss the last details that are in production. And I think that's also part of the job to make sure that what you decided to design and the way you made it will appear properly also in production and make sure like all the edge cases are well implemented and stuff. And I think that's also part of the role of the designer to make sure everything in production look good, look sharp, uh, and, and are relevant for people. So if a product live is very clean and very good, I think we also know that the designer behind the scene are like making sure that this will happen every day. And to me, that's way more important than actually your files, to be honest. So I, I think that's also one of the reasons I, I, I feel like people should take more time reviewing what's live uh, in their product because sometimes you have some slightly details that you can work on and I think that's that's fine and it's better to work on those details than actually making Figma files. Um, and don't get me wrong, I think it makes sense to have those files because if you can design faster for them with those, uh, I think that's very good. Uh, if you feel like actually it's empowering, you have an idea and you can sketch that quickly because you can import few components and modify them. That's, that's also very good. Uh, but when you are creating something new, you have to make sure that this will ship the fastest as possible. And, uh, you have also to take, it's okay to take shortcut. Nobody will know, uh, nobody cares and it's fine. I'd like to talk a little bit more about that kind of QA process where you're really getting into the details of what is actually in code, because man, I've been using linear regularly for a while now, and there are no visual bugs that really stand out. And so I'd love to get more into what that looks like. Like, how are you structuring those back and forth? How are you reviewing what's in production? What does it look like for you to give feedback to engineers? And how do you kind of steward that process as an early designer? I think the way I approach my work um, is more to, I feel like 80% of my job is going to the trash uh, most of the time. And I think my job is really to 
open new doors on um, the thing we already have in the product. So most of the time my design will be very few screens showing up like, okay, this can look like that maybe. And it could, uh, you, that's the way you will navigate to it. That's the way you will maybe use it. But then trying to give that in the hands of engineers very early on so they can start to build something maybe very scrappy that doesn't look like the design. And maybe the design also, because we'll work with a lot of that, I will end up being bad. So the idea is to really start to work end by end with the design, the engineers very early on and implement those design on the go. That's why also I work with a lot of screenshots because maybe they will send me a first build. I will take this screenshot and say, oh, actually this, what you did, actually there looks better than what I did. And it's not a top-down relationship where like I send clean specs and they have to really integrate them this way. It's more like, okay, we are sharing this direction with you. We start to building it together and then that's a lot of back and forth. So I think the QA really happened at this moment. And also we have this different way of shipping stuff to you people. So we will ship it internally. Luckily we use the tool also internally every day. So we are really on top of like what's going on. And, and if we feel like something is weird, we try to fix it as up. And then when we do this back and forth, we like kind of releasing internally the features. So people start to use it also the, with the rest of the team. And that's where like where we get a lot of feedback and we always make sure that inside the company, if you don't like something in product, even if your role is like a sales guy or like support, you are able to actually having a voice and have a deeply conversation. And we have to justify why we did that. And that's where actually the, the biggest discussion happened. So the early you share uh, and you build, the early you will know if you are going the right direction or not. Uh, and sometimes uh, I explore some design and we realize quickly that it's not going to work so that I don't have to build the entire feature until the design. I can just do one or two screen and realize, okay, this is going to be too much for now. Um, do the engineer have the time to do it? Or actually it could be way simpler than what I'm trying to think about. So the QA really happen at this time. Then we try to build that with, uh, when we announce something in the changelog, most of the time it's kind of a feature you have to enable manually in Sanina. So we have like, hardcore followers and uh, linear users since day ones that really love to kind of review off the feature for us sometimes too. So we got a lot of feedback for them. Then when we feel like it's been reaching a, that certain amount of users that we think will like this feature, we actually like release it with the public uh, everywhere. And then most of the time at this stage, we are pretty sure at like 80, 90% of the time that the feature actually will work with most of the cases that we not encounter new edge case and things like that. So we don't have a QA team inside. It's mostly us being in the Slack uh, with the user all day, uh, checking Twitter all the time, make sure like everything is fine. And there are some quick bugs, there are some tiny thing happening, but the, the answer is like, okay, but if the team is ready to fix those as fast as possible, actually less user will see them, but they do exist sometimes, but we are, we always make sure that when something wrong is happening for user and prod, this is becoming now the first priority for us to fix it because this is people having bad experience with us. And this is way more important that the new things we are building, like we can, if we have to postpone them a bit because the stuff are not working well, uh, it's fine for us to make this, to take this decision. And it's, uh, everybody in the team is aware that they should make sure the prod is always right. So that's in the end, make us prioritize uh, those visual bugs and build bugs very easily. Linear is 
basically become synonymous with craft and quality for so many designers. And what you just said was very interesting to me, where even as a startup, you're okay with prioritizing something that's already shipped, going back, making sure that it is excellent before moving on to the rest of your roadmap. What are some of the ways that that is reinforced culturally? How do you have such a high bar for quality that everyone buys into and you just understand this is how we are going to operate strategically? I think it's coming from the hiring part. Uh, we, uh, everybody that's worked with us uh, had to work with us for a week. Uh, that's mm -hmm. part of the process. Everybody in the team had it since day one. They come in, work with us for a week. You have access to Slack, you have access to everything that as a regular employee, you will have access to linear and we kind of test you on something. Um, we pay you for this week. So you're actually becoming a linear worker for a week. So I think that really starts from the hiring phases where we want to make sure that everybody coming to the team also uh, like product in general, that they have a love for it. Nobody has to be the best designer or the best front-end engineer in the world, but it has to actually have a nice on things. And we know also from that, that how far we can push on people to take product decisions. And I think also on the everyday basis, if you're an engineer or designer in charge of a project, you are making the decision. Like you have to understand what you're building, why you are building it. Like we make sure you talk with your, with users, uh, all our engineers like face support once in the term uh, in terms of support. So every engineer is facing support, is facing real users every day. So they understand also that when they ship something, that's going to be seen by people and used by people. And we want to make sure that it's always in top of our mind that, yeah, we have actually people, everybody, every day clicking on stuff uh, in linear uh, or shortcutting stuff in linear. But yeah, it's it's really... Uh, about the mindset of making sure that we always want to build the best product and that everybody in the team has a voice about that. So when you have a voice, that's why you also create discussions. So we take a lot of design decision in inner. So if you just join the team, sometimes you're wondering why this, why this, and then we start over those conversations with the people. Oh yeah, this is why we did that. This is why we did that. And even starting those conversations, most of the time we'll appear that we are like, yeah, actually, why we did we do that? So it's always about questioning yourself uh, as an engineer, as a designer, as support, and always make sure that if you feel like this is there is something wrong, if your intuition tells you that this is weird, there might be a better way of doing it. And actually taking the time uh, to being able to express uh, your ideas, uh, having a discussion, facing feedback, and then most of the time there is always good stuff happening from that. Uh, so it, I think it's really about allowing people to feel like they are in charge of things, that they are responsible in what the thing they do. So they have a voice, they can try things. So sometimes they're going to be wrong, but actually if they are unable to do that and we push them to do that, I think they are becoming better and better at building products. And that's where like the magic of the craft appears when you actually make sure you're working with people that care the same way you care about the product. So there is no discussion about if a better decision is like a better solution, we found a better solution. We are sure that everybody will be excited to build it. So that's, I think it's a lot about convincing people about decision and also allowing yourself to change your mind. If you feel like, oh yeah, actually this is the better solution. And so it's a lot of discussions and make sure you discuss with the right people. You've mentioned now a few times this idea of a product engineer, and you've talked about how it's a very back and forth product process with engineering. It's definitely not waterfall. And even a lot of the strategy doesn't feel like it's super top down because 
there's a lot of ownership. Like I can tell that there's a lot of ownership amongst the people that are making the product to come up with the best decisions. And I came across a different thing that you wrote earlier, which is you described Linear's culture as being full of makers and not executioners. And I'm kind of hearing it even in everything that you're saying. And so I'm wondering for someone who's listening to this episode and envision themselves maybe applying for some future role at Linear, what are some of the ways that a younger designer could come across to you as a maker and not an executioner? So I will come back to, I think, what I think about myself. Um, I think I, one of the reasons I worked in tech is because I think this is, especially coming back from like maybe old school graphic design school where like print and stuff was involved is like, I think what I like about tech is that if you have an idea and you know a little bit how to code, or if you find a friend of you that know how to code, you are able overnight to create a product, create a landing page, put it out there and actually face real market and users. And I think that's a very unique industry in terms of being able to do that because most of the time, if you have a restaurant, if you have whatever, it will take you months, years to actually build the product and then allow people to know about it and discover it. And if you made a mistake, you will not be able to change it. So I think by the fact that very early on, I always tried to build small business online by myself or with some friends, I really discover that, okay, you can do the best design, but there will still also copy marketing, how people will discover your thing. And I think when I see people as makers, I see people that, okay, I have a role. I'm very good at design. I'm very good at engineering, but that doesn't mean that what I'm building is only that. It's also include a lot of other role, a lot of other problems that I don't maybe even know about. And I think that if you have this kind of maker mindset, you're not afraid to actually try to do some copy, uh, even if that's not perfect, but actually actually do it because you know it's necessary and not just like when you design, do you use Lorep Ipsum or do you try to come up with real text? Like that's to me the, the perfect example. No, if you do it with Lorep Ipsum, that means like, what are people gonna write in your product? So maybe try to come up with real sentence that people might do in your product, then the design will change. So it's always thinking that actually you want to build something that yourself you will love to use. And if you take these statements, you're getting better on yourself being like, okay, this needs to be improved. And maybe the thing I need to improve is not the thing I like to do, but they need to exist so the product could exist. And I think that's when you swift to swift that you also work better as a teammate because if you're working with someone from marketing that come back to you and say, oh, look, actually this model, people don't see it right because it doesn't work with what we are doing outside. And if you understand that product is a whole with a lot of different sections that will make as a glue thing together happen and actually excite people, you are actually getting outside of your role most of the time and in the decision you take. And I think that's that's really what I want to, to feel from people uh, that, like doing products in general, and then I say product, I'm including a lot of holes, but I think I want people to make sure that what they do is not just what they are paid or like what is their role title is telling them, but actually to build the best product. And if sometimes building the best product might make you want to learn something new or like discover that you have to do that instead of doing that, you kind of going over the perception you have of this world because you're actually doing it. So then you have even more respect or you know which people you want to work with in the future because you know that, okay, I didn't know anything about marketing, but 
when I start to market my own product, I realize how hard it is sometimes. So then when I work with marketing people, I know which are the good ones or which are the ones that's going to get me excited. And so I think if you allow yourself to actually do stuff you don't like or you do think you are not able to do it, that's why you are willing to be a maker. Like you have to make something happen instead of just, yeah, I did my part. Uh, I don't understand. My design is perfect, but nobody is using my product. Yeah, but what is the product? You know, so that that's I think that's the philosophy I, I got, and uh, and and this is sort of the mindset. Also, uh, the founders of Linear, Kerry Thomas and, and Joey, were looking into new people joining the team. Is like, do you have something uh, that? you build yourself or that like you, you run yourself. So you understand what are the problematic of running a company. And I think it's a good advice for young designers that actually want to grind the market. Uh, I see, uh, I see that a lot happening online. I'm like, oh yeah, no, I don't have any experience. So for sure people asking for three years of experience, but I don't have this experience. So how can I join? But nothing in tech is blocking you to build the tools on your own or, and it doesn't have to be, uh, the new Facebook. It doesn't have to be uh, the new Salesforce. It could be very something tiny that you just and your friend will use. It could be something that is very a prototype maybe and you want to get people excited on the landing page. It doesn't have to be even real. But actually building yourself things and putting it out there makes you realize all the problematic you will encounter as a designer. And actually it's a very nice project to present to people because you are the only owner. You have the you take the decision on everything that happened in this product. So until the marketing, to the landing page, to the product itself, to the language you use. Uh, so I think that to me is the best thing you can display as a young designer to a founder that you want to work early stage because they are doing the same thing as you. And if they understand that you have a vision on those things, that you are able to actually understand what is your role as a designer of building those things, you will get on the top list for sure. So that's that's uh, really what I meant. But also build things, make things. That's the best way to learn. I love that advice. I'm gonna drill into that even more because, you know, we talked in the earlier in the conversation about this idea of like someone showing up to a potential early stage design role and showing their design system. I mean, the opposite of that would be if you really want to stand out demonstrating, hey, I actually have invested time in improving my skills as a copywriter. I'm not going to be completely reliant on someone else. I actually can think through this or I have put a marketing hat on and tried to grow something online. Man, that is such a great way to stand out in that interview process. I'm wondering, are there other skills that you think are particularly valuable for this founding designer role or ways that you have grown over the last two, three years? Yeah, I think also if we go back to this problem, uh, I can see also people telling me, yeah, but I don't know how to code and uh, how can I, can I did my design actually to exist? But if you are able to convince another engineers and there are a lot of young engineers that also are looking for new things to build. And I think younger, they are more exciting. They are to build new things. So if you're not able by yourself also to convince someone to work with you, and to collaborate, that's also the second skills you need to learn. Because for sure, it's good to do good design, but how are they going to be implemented? Like, are you able to work with someone else? So even if you have a team of two and you're just building a newsletter design and it's look very sharp, very cool, and you'd spend a lot of time on it, as an outsider, I will see right away that, oh, you're able to communicate with engineers. You're able to push them to go 
in their boundaries and you are able you yourself also to make sure they understand what you're sharing with them and you express your ideas so they are implemented well so like i think collaboration is also a big big thing um you the magic will not happen just because of you it will happen because the entire team understand what you're building and what you want to express as a designer you want this idea to become like that so it's becoming also just human relationship like and uh, it's very important for your career to understand that tech is a very small world. People you see once, you will see them again. Don't worry about that. Uh, and then actually, actually building good relationship, expressing your ideas, understanding also the feedback from others. It's very part of your job. So building stuff also with other people and actually expressing the fact that you know how to work as a team and not you're not the only one making everything is also a very good asset, especially for companies to see that even if you're a very young designer, uh, and you try to get into this uh, this world and you already have the ability to actually maybe hire someone to work with you or actually make friend enough or like create good relationship where like this guy was ready to take some time to help you build your product or that you know how to create a team to build something. That's a very, very good asset also uh, to have uh, in your in your basket because people, that will be your job every day to collaborate with others. And I think that's also, sometimes a part we don't talk too much about as designer, it's really about uh, ourselves and, and things like that. But actually, the craziest designer are the one that actually have find the craziest engineers to actually build their crazy ideas. So it's 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 really part of the job. And uh, if you are able to do that right and you convince people to build uh, your crazy design, uh, you're even better than some others. I love that. Put a big smile on my face. <laughs> if it's okay, I'd love to talk about your personal skill basket a little bit because I mean, you have like mad illustration skills. We haven't even talked about that. I don't even know if we have time for that. We've kind of walked in, down like the different ways that you can contribute, uh, the different ways that you've grown. When you look at this skill basket and kind of gaze into the future, what are the main ways that you feel like you can still personally improve your own skill set? Originally, I have an illustrator uh, background. Uh, I, I love to draw since I'm very young. Uh, I was lucky enough to, to have a family where I grew up with a lot of comic books around me, no TV, so I was really like drawing was my passion. And then when I discovered this old product thing, tech, things like that, I had no idea what this would exist, to be honest with you. And it was a big challenge. It's not the same job, uh, but I think also using the background I have into illustration, using of color and actually adding those illustrations maybe to some design were like a big skill set and actually give me new opportunities that's maybe on product only people didn't have. Um, and so lately I was like, for example, learning 3D. I did a website for Linear where I did some 3D stuff. Uh, to be honest, it always been like, oh, I need to do 3D at some point. I need to do that. I need to do that. And I'm, I could be very lazy sometimes and I never really try to do it or like, you know, you're doing some few like classes online, but you're not building something. So you don't know, you're trying to do stuff. But then one day I was like, okay, I'm going to do this in 3D for this website. That's going to be a challenge and I have one week to do it. So I'm going to have to take all the shortcuts I have, but actually this will exist. Then I start to learn to this, forcing myself that this need to happen. This result need to be there. So I think also, sometimes the best way for you to learn new things is like convince yourself that, okay, this needs to be done uh, in one or two weeks, one or two days using this technique. I have nobody, no, no understanding about, but then that will force you to take the shortcut fast and actually 
learn this technique very quick and uh, and what will you achieve in those days will be the best you can do and most of the time it will be good if you're putting a lot of uh, passion into it so i try to basically learn things i need because i think that will make sense and i don't i never approach a problem by like oh i don't know how to do that so when not use this technique because sometimes you know this technique is actually the right answer so forcing myself to do more things that I think make sense and getting me still excited. Uh, I've been working linear for two years. Uh, I now luckily we have a new designer working with school. So Alex Cornell, I don't know if you know about him, but he's making like, for example, very exciting videos to show and explain his, his design. Like this guy is, is amazing. His portfolio presentation, one of, one of the best I've ever seen in my life. Like it's, it's basically a movie about like his career. And I think, um, as European, we are not very good at storytelling, actually, and branding. And that's something I like personal branding. And that's something I really want to improve about myself, like how expressing my ideas and my vision on design to bigger audience and actually maybe using video or new media and actually experimenting in those spaces. The thing I'm, I'm learning or trying to learn a lot at the moment. I think it's, uh, it's totally, um, and used in the design world now, the video part of like, uh, so when I present a design internally, sometimes I will do a loom video or like a Slack recording video, trying to kind of put more emphasis about my work. But I think this can be improved a lot. And when you see companies like Apple spending millions of dollars in doing video to just show you a little UI element, you can think that as a designer, if you are able to produce those videos by yourself, I think it's a very good asset in the future to actually express your ideas. So that's, that's something I'm really leaning on myself, working more on like the video editing part, maybe learning the basic of that and to actually explain better my work. I think it's, it's mostly the stuff I'm trying to improve at the moment. I think that's another one of those skills, even for founding designers. That's really, really interesting because the chances are you might be working at something that is maybe a B2B company where you don't have this built-in marketing department. No one's going to showcase your UI in a really beautiful way automatically. And it might be up to you to create that demo that goes on a product hunt or goes onto Twitter or goes into the email release that's going to announce a new feature and being able to get good at just, you know, that 80, 20 of motion and, uh, creating uh, compositions that tell a story, that is a really, really good skill. I think it will be in the coming years, like something we expect designers to do more. Uh, to be honest, I, I see that coming more and more people that are able to actually display their work better. And also something you will learn with video. And I think that's why I like sometimes to just do a video presentation of my work is that when you start to present your work, sometimes you realize you're making mistakes in terms of the design. Like you like presenting the work and you're like, oh, you should do that. This will happen. This will happen. And then you realize that actually what you're experiencing doesn't make sense. And then you come back mm -hmm. to the original idea that maybe the design you did is wrong and you need to edit it again. So I think the video is a very good exercise for you to actually present what you did to an audience that is not your engineer guys, maybe it's a sales guy or like, and make it nice, making exciting. And I think that's also the role of your design job to make stuff exciting. So yeah, yeah, that's uh, totally something I think people should look at more. And also if you're a young designer that's trying to uh, grind also again, uh, if you have a good skill video to present your work and actually make it sound exciting, Video is a great tool. You can put a voiceover, you can add some music, you can uh, edit it in a way that is fast. Uh, it's sometimes way better than like sending a 25 page PDF with a lot of text. You know, nobody's going to read it. Actually, 
if you're able to make a good video about yourself, that means that's the first step of like showing that you know how to get people exciting about stuff. So that's one of the goal of a designer too. I'm still shocked that there's not more videos or even just Loom videos embedded into portfolio websites. Yeah. Because I think that's one of the most compelling ways that you could showcase a project because not only does, like you said, it proves that, hey, this is someone that can get people excited about what they're creating, but it also gives companies the ability to get a glimpse of your personality and who you are. And, and that's yeah. really difficult to have it come across in text. Exactly. And I think we also have now all the tools on the market. You don't need to have a video editor. You have stuff in the browser now that already exists. You have like a lot of tools to make you prototype in video very quickly. So I think there is no excuse now actually to don't have a good video to express your thing. So yeah, do it guys, because everybody's going to do it soon. So. <laughs> I, I, I totally agree. And if you're, and if you're listening to this and you're like, well, what tools are they talking about? I'd be, I'd be interested to hear if you have any two that I think are really worth Googling. One, if you're making videos, Descript is pretty, pretty excellent. It's how we're going to yeah. edit this video. It makes it so easy. You can edit it just like a Word doc. And so maybe you're a little bit worried about putting your voice on something because you don't think you can stream together three, four coherent sentences. And Descript's going to take that and make it really easy. Another one that's way more niche that I'm actually kind of interested in is there's, I believe the URL is slantit.app. I haven't, I have used it a couple times. We'll, we'll make sure the URL is good and add it in the show notes, but it kind of takes like these really cool 3d mock-ups that maybe you would see in like a framer product mm. demo oh, or yeah, something yeah, like okay. that and automates the process of creating yeah. it. That's another one that I've started playing with. And, and even just in like the first five minutes, I'm like, okay, this is, this is cool. And I could see it existing on a lot more yeah, exactly. websites. And I think there is even more and more with AI, as you said, tools that are coming up to market. So actually, if you find the one nobody knows and you make it something nice with it, it's always also a good differentiator. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like I think there is a huge market for that happening now and uh, it will get bigger and bigger for sure. I agree. I feel like we could talk for a very long time. I can't let you go though without just getting some of your take on really just the impact that Linear has had on design more broadly. and. Maybe even first, I'd be curious to know, you know, because the entire industry is looking at linear for inspiration. I mean, you've really shaped how, uh, you know, an era of websites have looked and you've, you've impacted so many visual product language, even my own. Who were you looking at for inspiration, especially in the early days? So I think the brief for the website was always like make something people will want to copy um and cool. uh, uh, so so that's where you start to actually don't look too much at what's going on and actually make something different could be a guideline for sure we're looking at apple websites to me they are still the best on the market apple is always a go-to for me when i don't know like okay how i should express something i should display something there they really, you know that they're putting a lot of uh, resources into design. They always have the best designers. So like, if you don't know about something, just look what Apple is doing. It's always a good direction. Actually, Apple design principles about the always uh, video that they have, like the documentation they have is very, very good. Like it's always very basic, it's very basic, but always, always go read and watch those video. It's to me always a masterclass every time I go to check their documentation. So. I really recommend like going, nailing the basics, then building on top of that to me is the, the best way to go. Um, and I think we 
started with having our own like design language now. So basically every time we ship something new, we try to improve the design language and actually building up on top of that. We have been shipping a lot of websites. So now we have also a bigger knowledge of like what works, what doesn't work with our style. And we're trying to now build and making our style evolving. So we are now very independent from like what the industry is doing. For sure, it's always a new challenge to get people excited. So we always try to uh, like experiment new thing. A lot of stuff goes in the trash for sure. Uh, but try to make something unique. It sounds like a very basic uh, statement, but actually if you are doing something that nobody's doing, that has maybe more chance to work than actually copying something that already people are doing and seen like thousands of times that will not make you unique. Um, and one of the best, uh, also like things you can do is like go outside the industry, to be honest. Like, I think I'm looking a lot at like what the car industry is doing, uh, what uh, the watch industry is doing, because, uh, you have crazy design, crazy craft. There are passionate people building, uh, new ways of redesigning basically all the time. It's like, if you look now at the car industry, we are going to electric cars. Like this industry is changing so much in the past years. A lot of innovation happening. There are a lot of designers, uh, crazy designers doing crazy things. And you can get very inspired by actually looking at those industries that are very design focused and learn from them, learn about like how they actually try to diversify. What is your brand on the market too? Like if you, something I like to do sometimes is like taking a brand and like comparing to the car industry one, like maybe, okay, my, what is my product? Is my product Ferrari? Is my product Rolls Royce? Mm. Is my product Renault car or like a Chevrolet? And then it doesn't mean that if you are like a cheap brand car that your, your product is bad. It's like maybe your audience is actually people that don't have that like less money or like you want to have a bigger audience. And then if you try to match your product to like another like industry, another brand, how those brands operate, like what do they do? What are, how do they design things? And you can, it will give you more perspective of like, what is the language they are using? What is the color they are using? Like how they, they present things to people. And then it can inspire you way more than actually looking at what everybody is doing on, on Ribble or product and because people are copying everybody. So go outside, check and learn from those bigger brands that actually sometimes has way more design history than like some tech companies they've been doing design for years like watch industry to me is the same like they have been putting stuff outside a lot things a long time they use typography the same as us they have very minimal ui there is a lot of craft uh, a lot of branding about them so you can learn from this industry for sure so much and i highly recommend you to get aware about like other like industries because you have crazy design happening outside of tech every day so it's very inspiring for me to, to check that I love that you said the brief upfront was to create a website that would be copied because I think it's pretty safe to say, I mean, you nailed that. You almost created an entire category of websites. So I'd love to hear even what is your reaction to just a lot of the praise that's been bestowed on linear on the website. And then all of these basically linear copycat websites popping up. What's that like? I think that's actually, that's very exciting to be honest. Uh, we are like Carrie CEO is a designer. Uh, I'm being very early on in the process of building the company as a designer. And I think it's also a proof that you can be product people, designer project people and do something exciting. Uh, we are doing a project management tool. That's not the best exciting thing on earth, to be honest, but uh, 
how we you turned that to be exciting and coping was also uh, something that we really like. So when we see people copying us or like trying to get copycat of us, like in general, we take it as a compliment. Like some people sometimes are going too far and then we reach them because like we had some guys just taking our visual and our copy to be honest sometimes. So we like, it's been going too far sometimes, but in general, we actually like, I think it's a proof also like that the design community, uh, when they like something, they also make your product famous. So I think we also, thanks those people to actually uh, being exciting, young designers talking about us, it's also creating a lot of press for us. And it's also like showing up that, yeah, you can be designer and create good stuff. And actually, I think it's kind of showing that, yeah, you can, you can actually if you listen to just your, your intuition, uh, create something exciting and people will love it. So yeah, we, we take that as like, we love it. We are very excited to see that uh, happening, to be honest. We've covered a lot of ground today. Are there any other questions that I should be asking or anything else that you want to share? Go build things that people love. We really want to see more new company being created uh, with those new generation, the new the new the new things as i say makers before is, is to me something i i really look forward to see more people actually questioning the way they build things uh there are like for sure like thousands of people explain you out there like how you should do that you should do that but if you feel like this is the way you like to build thing and it works like don't listen just do the thing that you think is right yeah you mentioned you know wanting to invest a little bit more in your own personal brand and putting yourself out there. So let's maybe wrap up and can you tell people where they can find you online? Uh, I think Twitter is the best, uh, Adrien Grieve. That's, that's where I try to go uh, the most. Uh, I want to build, maybe rebuild my website soon. So stuff will happen, but I, I don't have anything to share now. So just go on Twitter. That's where I am the most. And that's why I follow up on these questions. Amazing. Well, thank you, Adrian, for your time. You're just a Thank wealth you so of knowledge and this has been awesome. That was very nice talk to you. Have a good day.